Hey, what's up? My name is Dusty Otis. I am the lead pastor here at The Grove in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for taking part of your day to be a part of this church, to engage in this message, and for supporting our ministry. It means more than you know. None of what we get to do happens without you. I pray that today's message speaks to your heart. I hope that it helps you move forward in your relationship with God, and I hope that you become just a little bit better in following Jesus because you took the time to listen today. Enjoy the message. Today's message is a two-part series, but before I get into the message, I want to remind you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, 50 days ago, the word Pentecost comes from there, was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. 50 days later was the day the Spirit came into the church. For 50 days, Jesus was in and out of his disciples' lives. A lot of people think, okay, he was crucified, rose from the dead, went to heaven, and that was it. Wrong. He was crucified, rose from the dead, and then was seen by his disciples off and on for a period of 40 days. And that 40th day, which would have been 10 days ago, he told his disciples, hey, uh, you guys wait around here. The Holy Spirit will come. And when he does, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. And they're kind of, okay, okay. And they said, how will we know when he's here? And he said, trust me, you, you won't miss him. And so 10 days later, they're in the upper room and the Spirit comes and there's cloven tongues of fire and incredible things happen. Thousands of people in the morning. And I loved his intro to his Pentecost message because everybody was speaking in different languages and a lot of people said, oh, they're all just drunk. And uh, Peter stood up and he says, these men are not drunk as everybody's saying. He said, 9 a.m. in the morning is much too early for that. And I thought, wow, sound like Peter's a man speaking from personal experience. But he said, no, what you're seeing is what's been promised 500 years ago by God, and this is that day, and it was the good news of Jesus Christ. And that happened in a little upper room with 120 people, and it happened 2,000 years ago, and it's still going today. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's why billions of Christians gather in churches or groups or classes all around the world to share and be reminded of the good news. Now, I'm going to give you the good news of Jesus, really simple. There's four truths. Here they are. Number one, God loves you, and he has an eternal plan for your life. Repeat after me. God loves me, and he has an eternal plan for my life. Now, that eternal plan isn't always wonderful. It isn't always easy. It isn't always feel good, and everything works out, and cancers get cured, and people live to 100. But it is eternal. And when you know that, you know God of the universe is not going to leave you hanging. He's got an eternal plan for you. That's his plan, number one. Number two, your sins and mine separate us from that plan. We disobey God every time we do something that he says not to do or every time we don't do something that he says to do. How many of you are guilty of sin? Raise your hand. Yeah, all of us. We're, we're, we missed the point. God says, I got an eternal plan for you, but he said your sins have separated you from God. And then 2,000 years ago, God's son, Jesus Christ, came to the earth, fulfilled the predictions in the Old Testament, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. So that part about life's always going to be great, I mean, that, that crucifixion day for Jesus was anything but wonderful. But it's part of God's eternal plan. He died on the cross. He was one of maybe 70,000 people that the Romans had crucified at that point in history. But he's the only one that is remembered because it wasn't his death on Friday it was his resurrection on Sunday, the fact that he said, I would come back to life. You don't fake that. When you're a celebrity like Jesus, you don't lose the body when it dies. When you're a celebrity like Jesus and you're crucified in front of the entire city of Jerusalem on a 
major holiday event. I mean, think of your biggest event. Think of the star of the show, and suddenly he's dead. You just don't get rid of the body. People have always said, well, you know, they, they, they took the body. Who took the body? His disciples. Oh, the ones that ran for their lives on Friday morning? They came back in and stole the body? Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, somebody, you don't lose a body. And so Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was seen by Mary Magdalene, Mary, some others. And then the message spread, and then the disciples were there. He showed up to their house. And so that was the beginning of this story, this resurrection. Only one guy in history has ever promised to rise from the dead and actually did it. It was Jesus. Buddha, interesting fella. Confucius, interesting fella. Great leaders and teachers all through history, excellent. But they all died, they were celebrated and remembered, but they never came back to life. Jesus died, came back to life, and that's the message we preach. That's God loves you, has an eternal plan. Your sins have separated you. Jesus died so you could be forgiven for your sins. And then our responsibility is to trust Jesus, read the New Testament, and do what it says. He said, well, don't we read the whole Bible? Sure we do. But our part as Christians in following Jesus, we follow the new covenant. The old covenant was there, but this is the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me hear you say, trust Jesus, read the New Testament, and do what it says. Now, with that in mind, I'm living proof that 45 years ago, my life turned around because I trusted Jesus, started reading the New Testament, and did what it said. And I can tell you, not from a week or two of experience or three or four weeks or a month, but from 45 years, when you read that New Testament and you say, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to do or not do, and you do it. By the Spirit of God's power, you do it, and you discover your life is better. Now, the message this morning and next week is how to live a quiet and peaceful life. How many of you would like such a thing? Raise your hand. Okay. Isn't that amazing? We all want it, but yet we don't seem to know how to get it. I want you to think about the most quiet, peaceful person in your life. Hey, look at me. Look at me right now. I'm not the person. That's not me. But I want you to think, whoever it was in your life, who was that most quiet and peaceful person that you've ever known? Maybe mother, father, grandmother, aunt, uncle, friend, maybe someone you don't even know, but you just, they always seem to be so calm. Who was that person? Have you got them in mind? If you do, raise your hand. Okay. That is the goal. That is the goal. The one in my life was my grandmother on my mother's side. Uh, she, when she was 100 years old, uh, of course, when you turn 100, the one question everybody asks is, how did you make it? How do you, what, what, how do you live to be 100? And she said, she's a sweet lady, she's a teacher, she's born in 1895, and she died in 2007. You go, that's more than 100. Yeah, she lived to 112. But we didn't know that, so at 100, we're just video and grand. What, what did you, what's the secret to a happy life? What, what do you do? She goes, well, mind your own business and dig in the dirt. And she was a sweet lady, but she just said, mind your own business and dig in the dirt. Okay, mind your own business. Got the dig in the dirt. She goes, oh, yes. She said, when you're on your knees just digging in the dirt, planting flowers or trimming or pruning or getting vegetables, she said, that just the world just seems to slow down and you have nothing to worry about but worrying about those plants and things. She said, it's the greatest thing. She was a school teacher. Like I say, she lived to 112. Uh, we celebrated her birthday. Finally, at 110, we we're driving back or flying back to South Carolina. I said, Grand. We can't keep coming back. We don't know how long you're going to live. This is expensive flying back for your last birthday. So at 110, I said, let's go for a drive in the mountains. And I'm taking my little frail grandmother. We're driving all over. And she starts telling me about the Wright brothers, about World War I, the Roaring Twenties, the Depression, 
World War II, all of that stuff. She was marched for women's voting rights. How many of you ladies vote today? It was my grandmother that helped march and, and, and do that. So she's kind of a legend. That, that was 110. I said, Grant, I'll take you out to eat anything you want. What do you want? And she said, I'd like some fried chicken and coconut cream pie. I said, well, man, you can have steak, lobster, whatever. She said, no, fried chicken and coconut cream pie. So that was my granny at 110. She died at 112 in her mind in heaven. But I love that. Grant, what's the secret to your life? Mind your own business and dig in the dirt. I wish I could say that was my grandmother's original idea. But if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, it tells us this. It says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Make it your goal, your ambition. That's what, you know, life, we, we make it stressful and high, but it says here, make it your goal to live a quiet and peaceful life. And how do we do that? He says two things. Mind your own business, work with your hands. And then he says, just as we instructed you before. Am I telling you anything you've never heard in your life, people? When I say mind your own business, have, has anybody ever told you that before? Probably a lot meaner than I just said it, right? <laughs> Mind your own business. Hey, that's what God said 2,000 years ago. And then working with your hands. And it says the people are not, who aren't believers will respect the way you live, and you won't need to depend on others. That's the secret. Live a quiet and peaceful life. Now, I know a lot of us are in recovery, various stages, some days, some weeks, some months, some years, some not quite sure they are or not, whatever. Here's life. Life is meant to be lived on a scale of 1 to 10. We always ask each other, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you today? I'm an 8, I'm a 7, I'm a 9, I'm a 10. But when we get uh, drunk or high through drugs or alcohol, we go from a 1 to 10 scale to a 10 to 100 scale. And when you're drunk or high, you're way out of that quiet, peaceful life, and you're way up there in this stratosphere, and it's exciting. And I used to be a rodeo clown, and the first time, guys, I know that's a surprise, but it's true. One and a half seasons. I got smart the second half of the season, too. But we'd see these young cowboys come out on Saturday night, and they'd never ridden a bull, and this 1,500 pounds of animal, and they're back there drinking. We say, hey, it's only going to make it worse. No, it's liquid courage. Why? Because you're not meant to ride a bull on a 1 to 10 scale. When you get drunk or high, oh, I can take the bull. I can drive the car. I can jump off a 100-story bridge. I can do um, You're invincible. We do that, and we think we are. And then we get, we hit the, you know, what do you call it? Detox or you, what do you, when you're up, you're up when you're, what is it? Help me, Elizabeth. Withdrawing. Withdrawing. Anyway, you're not there anymore. It's the day after. Oh, or you get arrested and you go back to, you know, jail and then you come back out and then they put you in a halfway house and you're living that life one to 10 like the rest of us. And it's okay for a season, but then you start thinking, man, this is boring. This is regular. This, I remember, man, I would, you know, just a little bit, just one time, and it's just a racket. Listen, folks, 10 to 100, that's not normal. Zero to 10 is. When you're in that 10 to 100, it's loud, it's noisy, it's dramatic, there's problems, there's issues, some your own, but some a whole lot of others. Get back down to that zero to 10 scale and, and get on that five to 10 number. Live there. You go, well, that's not exciting. No, but the other one isn't real. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to say that. One to ten is not exciting. No, but that's, that's where we live. That's life. That's Monday through Friday. You know, Friday night and Saturday night, that's ten to a hundred. That's not real. That's why Mondays are so bad, because you're bouncing up and down. How do you live a quiet life? 
I'm going to give you some ideas. You can write them down if you want or pick one that you like, but here we go. Number one, how do I live a quiet life? First of all, let me, oh, let me hear you say, mind my own business. Mind my own business. One more time. Mind my own business. Ooh, that's good. I could, I, could, I could say amen and go home right there. All right, so here we go. How do you mind your own business? First one, stop judging others. Let me hear you say, stop judging. Do you realize how much energy and time we spend figuring everybody else out, their hair, their clothes, their color, their tattoos, their car, their work, whatever it is, and we're busy judging. And yet Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the measure you judge others is going to be judged unto you. Then he goes on to elaborate. He says, why try to remove the speck from your friend's eye when you have a beam in your own eye? He said, first, get rid of the mess in your life, and then you will see clearly how to help others. Let me hear you say, stop judging. You are not the judge that God put on this earth to decide, oh, that person is this, or that one's that, or they're good, or they're bad. Just love everybody equally. When you see Jesus' ministry, he didn't show favoritism to this one and, and not to this one. He loved everybody equally. It was non-judgmental. He said, God alone is the judge. How do you live a quiet life? Today, stop judging. When you go out to eat or when you go to work or whatever, just say, you know, take your mind out of judge mentality. You do not decide if that's a good person or a bad person or they're going to succeed or fail, whatever. Stop judging. Say, stop judging. Stop judging. All right, that's number one. Number two, similar to it, stop slandering. Let me hear you say, stop slandering. You know what slander is? Yeah, slander is me talking bad about you to someone else. That's slander. Slander is what I call the coward's sin. See, I, I got a problem with you, but I'm not going to talk to you about it, but I'm going to go over here and say, I got a problem with them. That's slander. They're not over here. They can't defend and say, what do you mean? I didn't do that. It's a coward's sin. And yet every one of us is guilty of running somebody else down to somebody else. How do I live a quiet and peaceful life? Number one, I don't judge you. Number two, I don't talk bad about you to anybody else. If I've got a problem with you, guess what Jesus said to do? He said, go to you one-on-one, -on -one, Matthew 18, 15. If you've got a problem with someone, he says, go to them one-on-one -on -one and fix that problem. He didn't say, if you've got a problem with someone, go to somebody else and talk about it. Let me hear you say the coward sin. And you're free to use that. You don't have to quote me. This week when somebody comes up to you, and I pray, Lord, if you wouldn't mind, test them today. Oh. Yeah. Let somebody come into their lives today and start running somebody else down that isn't there to defend themselves. And may this crowd say, you know, that's the coward's sin. And when they go, what? Yeah, I just heard that in church today. Little short chubby guy told me. The coward's sin. You see, you're running this person down to me, but you're not talking to them. That's cowardly. If you've got a problem with them, go to them one-on-one -on -one and fix it. So number one, stop uh, judging. Number two, stop slandering people. Imagine how simple and quiet your life is going to get when you don't judge anybody and you don't tell anybody else how bad somebody else is. Number three, stop criticizing. Let me hear you say, stop criticizing. In Romans 14, 14, I love that 14, 4, it says, who are you to condemn another man's employee? He said, to his own master, he will give an account of his life, and he will stand, for the Lord will make it so. I've been the victim of slander. 
I've been the victim of criticism. I've been the victim of people criticizing me, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, when you find out what people are gossiping or slandering about you, you can chase it down, but you'll never get to the end of it. You make it your point to live a quiet and peaceful life. Number one, you can't stop them from slandering and criticizing you, but you can stop yourself from slandering, judging, and criticizing somebody else. Make, you know, so what does it say Romans 4? Who are you to criticize somebody else's servant or employee? To their own master, they will rise or fall, and the Lord will make them rise. Wow, look at that. Three things are all pretty similar. But imagine if today you got rid of those top three forever. Your life suddenly gets what? Quiet and peaceful. You said, man. Yeah, God didn't make you a judge. He didn't make you a criticizer. He didn't make you a condemner of people. He made you a child of God. And he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet and peaceful life. Number four, follow Jesus' example. Let me hear you say, follow Jesus. Jesus. Now, Jesus had a very busy life. And a quiet and peaceful life does not mean it's not busy. I mean, when you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're doing what you're supposed to do. But when you get home, things get quiet and peaceful. Jesus had a really busy life. We only have three years of his public life, but it was nonstop crowds going into town, through town, and out of town. Nonstop people attacking him and criticizing him. Nonstop people wanting favors or this or that. I mean, he had as busy a life as you could ever want. He had drama. Have you ever noticed drama in your life from other people? Yeah, I'll talk about that more in just a second. But I love this story. It's a really quick one. I've never heard any preacher preach on it, including myself. So here we go. Jesus was doing his thing, and large crowds were there. He was teaching them. And a man came up to him and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the in- our father's estate with me. Here's Jesus teaching about stuff. And the guy comes up and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And what does Jesus say? Does he sit down and say, well, get your brother in here. Let's, let's talk about this. Well, let me hear your side of the story. Now let me hear your side of the story. Now what did your father say? Surely there's a will. He doesn't do any of that. Look what he says. Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? You catch that? This guy came up with a serious issue. Jesus wasn't the cause of the problem of it, and so he didn't take the monkey off of their back and put it on his. He just politely said, friend. Who made me a judge over you to decide such things? And then the Bible says he turned and kept on teaching the people. I've got problems. Oh, really? Do something. Sorry, it's not my issue. Now, where was I? And you say, well, didn't that mean, look, if you're a counselor or a lawyer or a teacher or something, you do those things. If you're a pastor, part of your job is solving people's problems. But for most of us, all we are is taking monkeys off of their backs and putting them on ours. There's an article written called The Monkey on Your Back. It was written by the Harvard Business Review a long time ago. And yet everybody knows about, how many of you ever heard the expression, you got a monkey on your back, raise your hand. Yeah. The original version of it is this. You're walking down the hallway in your office. Someone's working on a situation. And you ask them, how's it going with that problem? And they go, oh, man, I've got this and this. I've got this deadline. And you say, oh, here, I can help. I'll, take, I'll make that call for you. And the monkey just jumped from their back onto yours. How's that relationship? Oh, da, 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 da. oh, man, well, I can help with that. Or they're mad at me or they're mad at this. We take the monkeys off of other people's backs. 
If I recall correctly, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble in your life today to keep you busy. Do not take on everybody else's cares and woes. How do you do that? Stop judging. Stop slandering. Stop criticizing. Follow Jesus' example. He didn't solve everybody's problems. These brothers came to him, and one did, and he was upset because he didn't get the inheritance. Tell my brother. And Jesus said, friend, who made me the judge? And then he went on about his work. I dare you to follow Jesus' example in a conversation next time it comes up, and you just say something similar to that. Number five, this one I live by, and I encourage you to do the same. If you're not the cause or solution to a problem, stay out of it. Repeat after me. If I'm not the cause or the solution to a problem, I will stay out of it. That is so hard to do, and I wish I could tell you I have mastered that skill, but I don't. I still try to, I'm a problem solver by nature. I see things that need to be fixed, and I try to fix them. That's that's the way I'm wired. But when I'm in work mode, that's fine. But when I'm in rest on home mode, you got to stop being the solution to everybody's problems. Social media, I mean, isn't that a, it's a good place and a terrible place. It's a great place because right now, this is broadcasting to people that we'll never see or anything like that, so it's great. But it's a bad place because when we get that gossip and that slander and those rants and raves, and then people jump in on a conversation and da-da-da-da-da, it's it's embarrassing. Are people really that angry? Are they really that ready to go off on something? I had a few weeks ago, I was walking in a park around here, and uh, it was a mind my own business, one of the nice trails out of, I think it, uh, what's it, Frome Prairie place. And a lady was walking. She had a really nice big pit bull with a muzzle on its mouth. And, you know, it's a cold day. I have my hands up my jacket. I, you know, you see a pit bull. You just kind of keep your distance. So he's over there. I'm over here. And I looked at her, and I said, morning. And she said, morning. And then that dog lunged right for my face. I mean, in a split second, it was like, <laughs> you know, of course, he had a, a muzzle on, you know. and It's just the split second, morning, morning. Ah, and, you know, my heart. Well, praise God, I, I can go from zero to 160 just like that, and, and it worked. But I thought, my gosh, I just got attacked by a pit bull. And then I turned around, and she's looking at her, bad dog, bad dog. And I thought, man, there's a lot more words I would have used than bad dog. And, uh, <laughs> bad dog, bad dog. And I, she said, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, well, maybe, maybe he needs one more class in obedience school before you take him out in public. Anyway, we waved goodbye, and that was it. Anyway, I posted it, and I said, hey, got jumped by a pit bull today. I said, beware of muzzle, muzzle dogs on the trail. I said, if they're muzzled, it must have been for a good reason. And I just, a, you know, I shoot these all the time. And I mean, there's this angry tirade, you know, the, the pro pit bulldog people were saying, well, what did you do to, to agitate the dog? And I said, good morning. <laughs> My hands were in my pocket. I said, good morning. And someone else, oh, pit bulls should be put down. And I just, my goodness, I just, hey, praise the Lord for a great day and muzzles for dogs. And what I got was just delete, get rid of it. It is, I mean, you can do the same thing. Everybody's got an opinion. Politics, religion, everything else. Stay out of it. Stop judging. Stop slandering. Stop criticizing. Follow Jesus' example. Stay out of it. If you're not the cause of the solution, stay out. Here's the way that works. I'm here. Someone's got a problem with somebody else, and they're coming to me, and they're pouring it all out. You know what they did to me? And I always bite. No, what'd they do? Uh, And I have learned to say, you know what? I'm not the cause. I'm not the solution. 
I'm just the background noise, and I don't like being background noise, so why don't you go talk to them about it? It sure did get quiet here. You're not background noise. They got a problem with somebody or something else. If you're the cause, then jump in, get it fixed. If you're the solution, jump in, get it fixed. But if you're just a sounding board that they're dumping on, I promise you, you're not the first one they've told, and you won't be the last. They've got a, a repeat thing that every time they find an evil, they, they jump in. Do not be a sounding board. Have any of you ever heard of sounding boards before? Raise your hand. You know what it is? Yeah, it's from way back in the 1500s when people spoke or preached or taught in big rooms, no PA systems. They had a big mahogany circle over the preacher's stand, the lectern. And uh, it was right behind it, but I mean, it was right there. But the idea was this, and it worked. I would speak, my voice would hit the mahogany and bounce off, and people could hear it, kind of the early PA system. That was a sounding board. It didn't have the message. It didn't have the solution. It wasn't the problem. It was just a sounding board to project that to somebody else. Do not be a sounding board for the people in your lives. When they come to you with woes and problems and all of this, I'll bet you've heard it a, two, a time or two before. And you stop and you say, whoa, wait a second. I'm not the cause. No, I didn't say you were. I just agreeing with you. I'm not the solution. No, I didn't say you were. No. And I'm not your sounding board. But what, I love you. But if you really want to fix this issue, Jesus said, go to them and talk to them. Oh, they won't listen. Have you tried? No, I know they won't. It's, just, it's not your monkey. Okay, when they put that monkey on your back, you just say, hey, I'm trying to live a quiet and peaceful life. And the way I do that is mind my own business and work with my hands. Let me hear you say, mind my own business, work with my hands. Now, those are five things right there. I promise you, they work. If you will do them, you are halfway to living a quiet and peaceful life. You go, what do you mean halfway? Well, remember, it's a two-part series. Mind your own business, that's this, and then work with your hands next week. What is that about? You're going to be shocked, but I'm going to show you next week how to get a job, keep a job, and get promoted in your job and make more money. Is that interesting to anybody? Okay. How to get a job, how to keep a job, and how to get promoted in the job. And it's not smart. You don't need degrees. You don't need anything else, but you need four things. And that's what I'm going to tell you next week. <laughs> now, I close with this. Yesterday afternoon, a, you know, a divine appointment is something that God does that we couldn't explain. It just happens, and we go, wow, that was really cool. Yesterday, I'm sitting in the backyard studying my message and looking at First Thessalonians. About 1.30, I've still got the picture, got the text. A buddy of mine who, uh, a short story, he's a hunting buddy. He lives in Tennessee. He's made a lot of money, very successful, very, I mean, all of that stuff. And one night, you know, I just asked him about eternity, where if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? And he joked and said, well, I'm kind of hedging my bets. I sort of believe and I sort of don't. I don't know where I stand on that. And he always called me Padre. And he said, I don't, I don't, I'm kind of hedging on that, Padre. I said, well, I challenged him. I said, read Matthew 1 through 7 tomorrow, and let's talk about it. He said, I'll do it. And he's a smart guy. And the next day, he'd read Matthew 1 through 7, and we're talking, and his buddies that he was hunting with said, man, what did you tell him? I just said, read the first seven chapters of Matthew. You'll find out who Jesus is, what he taught, and how he wants you to live. And he comes back, 
And that night, at the next night at the campfire, we're talking. I said, did you read it? He said, yeah, I read it. And he's answering this in front of a bunch of guys. He said, I read it. I said, and? And he said, well, Padre, I'm here to tell you, I'm on the side of the believers tonight. Mm. And he's, a, again, one of those guys, you know, I guess he's in his 60s now, very successful, had everything you could want. And yet when I asked him about eternity, he had no hope. He was hedging his bets. And he met Jesus. And that was seven years ago. And ever since then, he texts me about twice a year. One time he texts me, he's in the hospital. He was on his Harley, slid out on a mountain and got impaled. And he said, Padre, I almost bit it today. He said, nice thing is, I know where I'm going. <laughs> and then yes, yesterday, he sends me a picture. And he's got his Bible outside in his backyard. And he's got his, his stuff set up there. And he says, my little, my little sanctuary. He said, I have my quiet time here. And he has a great big giant Bible now. And he wrote me and he said, Padre, I just wanted to thank you again for getting me on the right path so many years ago. He said, I'm living it. He said, I'm in my church. I volunteer at the homeless shelter in my church. I'm a reader at the lectern. I volunteer with communion services. He said, life is good. And he sent me a picture of his backyard. And his Bible was open to 1 Thessalonians because his dad is dying. And he was reading 1 Thessalonians 5, which is about, don't worry about those who die in the faith. And I couldn't believe it. I took a picture of my Bible in my backyard. I said, uh, Michael, I can't believe you sent me this. I'm sitting on my back porch reading 1 Thessalonians 4. And I said, that's what I'm preaching on tomorrow, how to live a quiet and peaceful life. And he said, sent back. He said, uh, well, not quite there yet, working on it. He said, but I do have a nice garden that I'm doing. And this guy's, you know, he could pay gardeners, but he's learned the art of a quiet and peaceful life, working with your hands. And then he signed it quietly, and he calls himself Weevo, but he said, quietly, Weevo. And I thought, thank you, Lord. I mean, the, the miracle that he and I would both be reading First Thessalonians at the same time in two different states, he's going through one thing, and I'm talking about this. That's the blessings of God. You can live a quiet and peaceful life, but it is up to you. You now have the tools, but like any tool, it's not going to do you any good in your bag. You have to take it out and use it. I've given you five tools. Don't, uh, don't judge, don't slander, don't criticize. Follow Jesus' example. And if you're not the cause or the solution, you got the right answer. If you're not the cause or the solution, stay out of it. That's the answer. Jesus said, make it your ambition, your goal live a quiet, peaceful life. It's not like, well, I'm just not, I just can't do the quiet and peaceful thing. I'm just loud and noisy, just who I am. Do you like it? No, I hate it. Stop. God of the universe says, look, I intended for you to live quiet and peaceful. Simply mind your own business, work with your hands, and you will find it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It means more than you know to have you with us. And to all of you who partner with us and support the mission of our church, thank you. We cannot be the church without you. Go ahead and click the link in the description to partner with us now, or you can visit thegrovefc.com forward slash partner. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to like and subscribe. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. This is how the gospel goes forward. Thanks again for being here today. God bless you.